Has God recently delivered you out of a trial? Pastor Tom Keller has this piece of advice. I picture the man falling at Jesus' feet and Jesus bending down. And I picture him saying over and over again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And you see, this is the relationship God wants to have with us when he delivers us after we pray. Psalm 50, verse 15, three steps. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We call upon the Lord. He delivers us and we give him the glory. That's what happened here. He called upon him. God delivered him. He gives him glory. Every time God delivers you, you, every time you go through a trial, you pray, he'll answer, and you give him the glory. This is Study the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Pastor Tom Keller is our Bible teacher, and he's leading us through a series of studies from the Gospel of John. We'll be finishing chapter 9 today. It's devoted to the story of a man born blind who was healed by Jesus. Pastor Tom has been providing us with some wonderful insights, and you're invited to join the journey. We're beginning at verse 24. So once the parents refused to offer any help, the religious leaders now turn on this poor, formerly blind beggar a second time. And they say this in verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Cambridge Bible says, quote, the Pharisees had cross-examined the parents apart from the son. And they now try to browbeat the son before the son discovers that his parents have not discredited his story. It says, and then they call him in. This was probably before the Sanhedrin, 71 members of the Supreme Court. These were the most powerful, learned men in all of Israel. This would have been a very intimidating group of men to be called before. And these men probably through Caiaphas, the high priest, say, give glory to God because we, parenthetically, learned men, know that this Jesus is a sinner. And the formerly blind man responds with such confidence in verse 25, and he says, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but this I know. I was blind, and now I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is the inherent power of every and any testimony. No one can argue what happened to you. They can argue against your religion or your politics or your position on this issue or that. And to be sure of it, they will. But no one can argue what God has done for you. And this is why your testimony is such a good starting point when you tell others about Jesus. Because it's interesting and informative and encouragement, encouraging, and it can't start an argument. In our discipleship class, we talk about how to share the good news in five minutes. And it talks about sharing my story. You open up a common area that can lead into a discussion. When I was in business, this would be someone sitting across the desk from me that was in business. And, and I'd, many times I'd use this scripture verse. I'd say, Proverbs says that a fortune can be made from cheating but there's a curse that goes with it. 
And the guy on the other side of the table goes, boy, that sure is true. Let me tell you about a guy that took advantage of me. And the hook is set. We're off to the races. And then talk about what my life used to be like before Jesus. That's not hard to talk about. Factors that led me to Christ. And then key scriptures that influenced me to receive Christ. For me, it was in Mark, how does a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or Tom, what will you give in exchange for your soul? What price are you willing to pay? Key scriptures that influenced me to receive Christ. And then lastly, positive changes Christ has made in my life. And how many of your testimonies could end with the same closing line that this blind man makes, but this I know, once I was blind, but now I can see. Do you remember being blind? I remember being blind. Do you remember when you started to be able to see? I remember when I started to be able to see. When the lights came on, when those supernovas were exploding in my brain as I read the word, I remember coming from darkness into light. I once was blind, but now I can see. I remember the story of an illiterate man in the early 1900s working in the coal mines who got saved. When his drinking buddies found out about it because he was so uneducated, they laughed and said, you fool. So you believe in that Jesus who said he could turn water into wine? The man, not knowing the story in the Bible, said, I don't know nothing about Jesus turning any water into wine, but this I know, he turned beer into food for my family. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, I don't care much for man's religion if it doesn't affect how he cares for his dog. You see, our religion, as the world calls it, our religion should make us kinder, gentler, more compassionate people. And just as I said that no one can argue against your testimony, neither could these high-powered men who sat on this high-powered court because how do they respond to his? Now I can see. Verse 26. They don't argue it. They say, but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, oh, I love this. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, man, he poured gasoline on the floor and just threw a match on the courtroom floor by asking that question. All translations close that section by saying, do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, my. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe this former blind man is sincere in this question, or is he poking? My opinion is he is very sincere for two reasons. One, being born blind, his experience of knowing the world and receiving a religious education would have probably been greatly limited. And secondly, this man is giddy with excitement. Can you see him in there looking around? And remember, folks, remember all that he knows about Jesus thus far has come from what the Pharisees told him because he didn't know who Jesus was when Jesus healed him. So I picture him there with huge, sparkling, innocent eyes, sincerely asking these learned men, do you want to hear my account because you also want to become his disciples? And their response, yes, no. Verse 28, 
Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why that's, <laughs> this guy comes back. Why that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. In verse 31, this man applies some very sound logic. He says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. He said, God doesn't listen to sinners. And folks, that's straight Bible. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And then he expresses a fact, a question that I am sure would have been one of the very first questions he ever asked his parents. As soon as he could formulate words, the first question, and probably an early question to many rabbis from his youth. Mommy, has anyone who was born blind ever been healed? Mommy, ever? The answer, no. The question asked, the answer, no. Over and over, no. Every single time, no. And it added to his hopelessness. So his answer reflects a conclusion that is absolutely accurate. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And the religious leaders respond with scorn, with despising arrogance. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. This you were born in sin points back to the belief and teachings of the rabbis that was any illness that befell a person was the direct result of sin. It was taught that the sins of the parents would appear in the lives of their children. It says it will get a knock on the door. You don't have to answer the door, but very well may receive the knock. They also taught that an infant might sin even before he was born. And so they may have been crediting this man's blindness to his sin that took place before he was born in a prenatal state. Thus their statement, you were born in sin. And they say, are you trying to teach us? Friends, be very careful not to dismiss a rebuke or a correction or some point of information from someone based upon your view of them as being unqualified. Listen, God spoke using a donkey, right? Sometimes you will be the donkey. Sometimes the donkey may speak to you. But some of the best insights that I've learned, that I've heard, have come from people that the world would have considered to be very unqualified. Don't dismiss the message because you discredited the messenger. I have in my prayer list that I would be open to the criticisms and corrections of others. I want to be open to that because sometimes the Lord is in that. 
I, in my flesh, I don't want to hear it. But if the Lord is in that, I don't want to miss it. I'd suggest you do the same. Be open to the criticisms and corrections of others. And then verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? <laughs> Isn't that so cool? When Jesus heard what happened, he found him. Can you picture Jesus walking up to him? Because this is the first face this man ever saw was Jesus' face. And now he's in front of him again. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Here's how we know he knew nothing about Jesus. The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him. How do you like that? You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Folks, this is a glorious scene. This wide-eyed, happy man in front of Jesus, and he says, I believe. And with these two words, this man has just met the qualifications to live with Jesus in heaven forever. John 3.16 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You can know the same today. And then verse 38 ends with, and he worshiped Jesus. How do you picture this? I picture just like this. I picture the man falling at Jesus' feet and Jesus bending down. And I picture him saying over and over and over again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And you see, this is the relationship God wants to have with us when he delivers us after we pray. Psalm 50, verse 15, three steps. Call upon me, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. We call upon the Lord, he delivers us, and we give him the glory. That's what happened here. He called upon him, God delivered him, he gives him glory. Every time God delivers you, you every time you go through a trial, you pray, he'll answer, and you give him the glory. You know, I've thought about this already. Since God is not relative to time, and he knows the future from the past, when he delivers you from a trial, he already knows if you're going to thank him. He already knows through foreknowledge if you will or won't thank him. If he knows that through foreknowledge, could it be that that plays a part in the process of him deciding to answer your prayer? Isn't that an interesting thought? Have a grateful, thankful heart. This man did. And in that mind... As this man is worshiping at the feet of Jesus, as unto God, these religious leaders standing in the crowd surrounding both the God-man and the blind man, as they watch this man worshiping Jesus with disgust, Jesus addresses them. Verse 39, and Jesus told him, I entered into this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. The Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. Now, several conclusions can be made from Jesus' statement. Number one, God does not condemn people for what they cannot do, for what they cannot do. 
one of the saddest phone calls I ever received as a pastor was from a woman who listened to our program in the radio station, hadn't been in church for 10 years, and asked if I could stop by because she had a very important question to ask me. She was blind. When I went to the apartment, there was about a 40-year-old daughter there, her husband had died, who was severely disabled. She couldn't speak, didn't appear that she was able to reason, but just on the verge of being able to stay in the home with the mom. And the mom told me this. I attended a church, and a group of women asked if they could come by and visit. And I don't think, this is me saying this parenthetically, I don't think they knew she had a daughter. And she said when they came to visit, they saw my daughter and saw that she didn't have the ability to communicate. And they said, your daughter's going to go to hell because she never prayed to receive Jesus. She left that church, hadn't been to church since, and she asked me, I heard you in the radio, pastor, is that true? What a joy it was to be able to tell her. You see, that is all too common, where churches wound people and they leave. Secondly, the reason people will ultimately be condemned by God is that they refuse to receive the truth, not because of their sin. People will be sent to hell because they rejected God's only plan to save them from the penalty their sin requires of them. The sin just stands as evidence that they needed salvation. The reason people ultimately be condemned by God is that they refuse to receive the truth. Third, that pride and self-confidence, think of these 71 men, that pride and self-confidence are at the root of God's condemnation. And fourth, if a man... Once they stands guilty and condemned before God, they will be to blame, not God. So, how does today's lesson apply to me? In our story today, their leaders hurt one that they are responsible to care for. Does this happen today? I got a phone call years ago from a woman who listened to the station, and she said she wanted to apologize for not going to church. She said, when I was in high school in the youth group, our youth pastor abused me sexually. She said, I then pushed through that. I got married, and then I separated. And while I was separated, I went to counseling with a pastor who abused me sexually. She said, I don't think I can come to church. What do you say to that? Church abuse has been delivered, is delivered, in many different forms, in many different ways. And the pain of this many times causes these people to be reluctant, understandably, to re-engage, afraid of being hurt again, wanting to protect themselves, and questioning if the church can or even should be a part of their lives going forward. This is why we want to be a church, this church, to be a safe place a place where people genuinely feel accepted and loved as they are, where they are. And this culture of love and acceptance is the absolute best culture for God to do his saving and sanctifying work in. As they sit here on a Sunday morning, feeling loved and accepted, the word of God opens them up to the love of God 
and the changes God wants to make in their lives. This is such a powerful combination. Because within this culture of love and acceptance, when the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, they will feel guilt. They will not feel condemnation. And remember, never forget this, guilt is a good thing. Guilt takes you to the cross. But when we, the church, when we try to take on the role of the Holy Spirit and we try to convict a man of his sin, that man will feel condemnation. And condemnation is always counterproductive. And so our love plus the velvet hammer convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of God's word line by line is powerful in causing people to want to change. So remember, as you are at work, as you're among unchurched or formerly churched people, remember that many people have been hurt by churches, like that blind woman I mentioned. Sometimes sheep bite sheep. So as you talk with friends who used to attend church and no longer do, I encourage you to listen to their story. Many of them really wish there was a way for them to get back into a fellowship somewhere, but they don't feel safe in venturing out. So listen to their story. Invite them. Tell them that you belong to a safe, loving place and help make Calvary Chapel a safe, loving place. Let's close in prayer. Father, what a joy it is to be your child. What a joy it is to fellowship with people of like precious faith. And I remember someone saying years ago, we are wounded in community. We're healed in community. And a part of people breaking free from what they're going through is getting back into community. Listen, if you're watching on the internet, you're listening on the radio, and, and I'm talking about, and, and this is you, I just encourage you, to venture back into a church, find a safe church. Ask someone, ask people that you would be able to venture back in because here's the truth. Satan knows the best strategy against believers is to get them out of the church, isolate them, and then pick them off one at a time. And the best protection against that is to be in a community of of fellow believers who love you and care for you. I encourage you, pray about this. Determine to try to make your way back into the life of the church. And if you're listening or here and you've never prayed to receive Christ, the truth is you may think you see, but the truth is your eyes really haven't been opened yet. And it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to have your spiritual eyes opened. If you'd like to do that, I encourage you, just pray this prayer right now. God can hear your heart. Just pray quietly inside. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned. I have committed so many sins. And I ask you to forgive me. And I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, acknowledging his death on that cross is payment for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your great love. Now, Lord, help us, help all of us to live lives that honor you, that point others to Jesus. And this we pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen.
Thanks for joining us today for Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller. Hear these studies from the Gospel of John again at ccleb.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel Lebanon. If you'd rather have a CD copy, call 717-273-5633. If you find these studies helpful to your walk with Christ, we'd like to know. It'd be so encouraging to Pastor Tom and all of us at Study the Word. Give us a call at 717-273-5633 or write to Study the Word, 740 Willow Street, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, 17046. You can also email us through the website at ccleb.com. Study the Word is made possible through the support of our listeners. Large or small, your gifts help to make these programs possible on stations all across the nation. So thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. You can give online at ccleb.com or call 717-273-5633. We hope you'll visit us sometime here at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. For our service times and more information, go online to ccleb.com. Be sure to introduce yourself after service as a radio listener. That would put a smile on our face. You can also watch our live stream there at ccleb.com or on our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. May God richly bless you as you study the Word. Come back next time when we'll pick up where we left off in John's Gospel as we continue to study the Word. Study the Word.